Welcome to Sons of a Gun, a podcast about the DC Universe. I'm Alex Gunn. I'm Justin Gunn. And I'm Pete. Gun, last name Gun. We're all sons also of gun. a gun. Yes, we're, we're brothers. All we're you know, brothers. we never tell about how we're brothers, but we are <laughs> identical <laughs> triplets, right? Yeah. yeah. Triple buck, but Huey, Dewey, and Louie situation. Exactly. And we have a celebrity father we don't talk about, but he is the head of the new DCU. Don't want to say his name for legal reasons, but we are going to yeah. be talking on this episode about Blue Beetle. The movie that's now in theaters, if you haven't gone and seen it in theaters, go see it because we're definitely getting spoilers here. But it came out on August 18th. It's directed by Angel uh, Manuel Soto, uh, screenplay by Gareth Dunnett Al Coker. Uh, and yeah, it introduces, uh, we talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, but just so everybody is straight on the continuity here, the real world continuity, Blue <laughs> Beetle is ostensibly going to be the first of James Gunn's new DCU characters that decide to continue with him. However, Superman Legacy coming in 2025, asterisk, depending on strikes and other things, is going to be the first official DCU movie. So while there's hints here of what maybe we can get in the DCU, it's more they're going to fold Jaime Reyes, the character in here, potentially. And and just to get to my my little monologue before we get to thoughts and opinions and everything. So this has been in theaters for two weeks at this point. It introduces Jaime Reyes. uh, Zolo Maraduena stars as the main character as Blue Beetle. He uh, is just a regular kid living in Palmera City, comes back from college, hopes to make a name for himself. Really doesn't work out. And then to add insult to injury, he gets infected, I guess is the best way of saying it, by the scarab that mm. gives him powers. And he gets wrapped into this big superhero world, ends up fighting Susan Sarandon as Victoria Cord. Also ends up fighting this combination of two classic comic book characters, Carapax and Omac. And ultimately accepts his identity as a superhero, becomes a superhero for the Latino community in Palmera City, which is mostly Latino anyway. And then, uh, and then, yeah, there's some setup for the sequel. We'll talk about the end credits as well. So that's the big overview. The other thing, uh, unfortunately, I would say, unfortunately, this has not been killing it at the box office. Not a hit. Yeah, this is, I believe, the seventh underperformer is a generous way of saying it in D.C., uh, in, in a row. So things not going well in the DC world in general. Sorry, right, we got Aquaman 2 maybe. Come on. <laughs> maybe that's coming out. We'll see what happens. But that all said, let's talk. This is how I always like to start off, but let's talk about our theatrical experiences. Um, obviously, it's been like two weekends, three weekends at this point uh, since the movie came out. So it's been a little while. But how'd you see it? Pete, I know you saw it opening weekend. What was your experience like? Yeah, um, it was kind of not fully packed, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it was, you know, there was people there. <laughs> oh, wow. wow, you sound like you work for DC. Yeah. It wasn't down. packed, but it was it was sick. Everyone had I, popcorn. Yeah, there was there were snacks on sale in the lobby, I think. I don't know. Stairs or stairs. Yeah, I bring stairs. in my own food. So, yeah, oh, you know. Wow. Oh, good. Wow, a whole garbage you plate bring? just sitting on your lap. <laughs> yeah, Cornish exactly. game hen, as you. <laughs> <laughs> Sticky toffee pudding, just to go with the theme. I also saw an opening weekend with my family, with my son, who is nine, and my daughter, who's 13, as well as my wife, age redacted, 
Never oh, say oh, wow. Never say ladies' up, age. Anyway, no, we we went to see it together. Also, opening weekend, also like half filled. And the weirdest part about it was that it wasn't listed this way, but it was a closed caption screening. So the entire time the closed captions were on screen. What? Oh, so why did you do that? I it wasn't a closed caption screening. It just started that way. It was also huh. very loud. Like not Old man it was not forty. It's too no, no. loud. Yeah, it was legit. Oh, you had the like, big font. You're the like big type. I was like, <laughs> is this an old man screening? Seriously, like they pump the volume up, put the yeah. closed captions on. Very weird. They saw uh, your old family go in there, and then they thought they'd you know help you out. <laughs> yeah, my Turn up the volume. Mr. Magoo's here. <laughs> redacted. Uh, but I, I will say though, without getting too much into thoughts, it didn't really affect the screening too much for me. It was just at the beginning, I was like. Uh, what is happening here? But then uh, we all grew to got into it. Justin, what about you? You saw it recently, yesterday, right? As we're yeah, could you please describe everyone you saw it with as well? Yes. Um, there was a young man, 17, <laughs> skateboard in hand. Uh, oh, wow. He finished his soda. Was his hat about, forwards or backwards? What like me, he wore his, fats, his hat slightly askew on his oh, head. Weird. I also um, wear my fat slightly excuse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's the way it grows in. That's the way it grows in. <laughs> yeah, just one side. Uh, I saw it in a mostly empty theater. More on the, let's see, I saw it two days, three days ago. Uh, so it was, um, yes, the a little bit fresh. later. It's the most fresh. The most fresh. Um, and uh, a lot of movies I've seen lately are in empty movie theaters, which is a bad sign in general for the world. But um, it's you can really kick back. I, I don't mind are, it. They're louder. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, there's obviously something for seeing something with a packed opening night crowd, getting those reactions oh, yeah. and everything. But at the same time, I don't actually mind an empty theater because it gives you time to, like, process your actions, feel what you're feeling without anybody else. Like, you get a more pure sense of yourself, you know? Whoa. whoa. <laughs> yourself. Yeah. Um, well, it also, I mean, it affects you, or at least it affects me, like sitting next to my son who does have a problem with loud noises in movie theaters. So checking him and being like, is he okay? Is he okay? Is he freaking out? Mm. He was fine uh, the entire time. He was like, that was loud and very violent. And I didn't like it was his estimation of it. Don't give away the big take. Don't give away the big tick. Maybe we had a big disagreement. So why don't we get into that? Why don't we get into general takes on the movie? Uh, I, I'm going to throw mine out there first because I feel like I just based on like feeling out Pete a little bit and Justin, I don't know from you, but I feel like Feel I me. might be the minority opinion here that I loved it. Like I really enjoyed the movie. I had a very good time. I was surprised at how emotional it was. It yeah. looked like something, which I know is something that I've been harping on a lot, but like with a lot of these CGI mud movies, having a movie that obviously does have a lot of CGI and it occasionally had some like I'm janky so- looking effects, but I- like I'm sorry, mud movies? What does that hey, mean? Like let's go on the, down to the mud movie. the entire time it looked brown. Like all of these landscapes and everything, they just flatten out into like a brown wash most of the time because yeah. they're just throwing stuff up there. It looks like concept art that they put on screen. This though, obviously there was CGI in there and there was stuff that they did, but the director said that he really tried hard to rely on a practical suit and practical effects wherever they can, obviously augmenting it with CGI so that it does feel more present and it does feel more real and you can interact with things like that on the set. And I think with some exceptions that really came through and I really appreciated that. Like it felt purposefully very grounded. It felt very thoughtful in terms of the decisions they made. 
not all of the, again, not all of the work, like it's not a perfect movie or anything like that, but it really felt like this could, particularly because this was a movie that was originally planned for HBO Max that I'm sure the studio was like, yeah, yeah, toss it on HBO Max, let's go. They put a lot of thought into why they were doing things, both from a cultural perspective and also just from a story perspective that I thought really went above and beyond what was probably expected of them or potentially what was necessary with what is otherwise a rote superhero origin movie. So I had a good time. That's my impression. You guys go ahead, shit on it as you will. Oh, wow. wow. Take it easy, first off. I, yeah, you I, don't know me. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. <laughs> we just met. Uh, Five minutes um, ago on this podcast. I, I, Justin, if it's all right, I'll go. Um, Please. Uh, yeah, I I definitely wanted to love it. Um, I had a, a good time at the movie theater. There were just certain parts that pulled me out of it a little bit. Um, I definitely agree with you, uh, Zobs, where I appreciated the fact that it really felt like a lot of it, he was wearing a, an actual suit and it wasn't all CGI. You know what I mean? So I felt that that was kind of cool. Um yeah, I certain parts were were and there were just kind of minor things. I think overall I had a good time. I wasn't pissed. I wasn't kind of lost or anything. Just um, not pissed is one of your highest. It's like it's Ebert and Roper's thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not pissed, pissed. Yeah, I, yeah, I wasn't mad. Uh, I think that the um, there was some weird like the relied heart heavy on fart humor, um, which I thought that was kind heavy. of dumb. Yeah, I mean that whole bug giant fart move that took up like a bunch of time was kind of, I was like, what are we doing here? Um, and then, <laughs> um, you know, like I didn't think you had to suspiciously call out a couple of times that the bug went up his ass. You know what I mean? Like I was like, all right, you know what I mean? Like we, we could wow. just say, it, you know, like, well, Pete, this is personal it's attached for you itself because in the comics, it attaches up your ass one time, right? Pete? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been running the show ever since. <laughs> right. yeah, sort of I'm, I'm puppeted by a small angry bug. Uh, it's I very funny the, to me, Pete. Hold on real quick. It's funny to me that you have a bug up your ass about, a bug up his ass. Exactly. Thank you. Um, and then there was just kind of like a split in two as far as like he doesn't kill, but his family has no problem murdering everybody. So it was just kind of like I felt like they could have got on the same page of like, do we not kill or do we kill? You know what I mean? So I felt like it was like he was working hard not to kill. And then other moments they were like straight up just straight up murdering people so i felt like that was a little kind of uh muddy to pull a uh, thing from zelbatron but overall i thought it was hysterical i thought george lopez did a really great job kind of spicing things up he added some really uh, uh fantastic humor i thought and of course the grandma whooping ass like i was gonna say pete how I mean, could you on. be mad about the grandma all i thought about when i was watching the grandma was like oh man pete's loving this like <laughs> almost sexually at this point well i wouldn't do that but yeah i just think it was uh there was a uh, there was a lot of fun moments which was nice in dc it doesn't have to be all dark i liked uh you know how bright it was at times and yeah the family was great i i really think that you know we've seen a lot of uh, superhero movies at this point so the fact that it felt fresh and entertaining and I thought the casting across the board was just really spot on. Um, 
you know, even the kind of guy who is a henchman and then kind of, you know, spoilers, but turns at the end to kind of help them out. I thought that was a great Harvey guy. Dillon. For, yeah, Harvey yeah. Dillon from What We Do Harvey in the Dillon. Shadows. He was great. Yeah. His, yeah. The guy who they called to... Sanchez through the whole movie. And then oh, was yeah. Like, That's yeah. Not so my I name. knew it was coming the entire time. Yeah. But when he say his name, I got like a little choked up because. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that Very was a surprising. great moment. Yeah. yeah. Justin, what about you? What was your take on the movie? The fresh take. And I'll just mention for the record, Justin always loves the last thing he saw the most. And you most <laughs> recently saw Blue Beetle. So is, is this correct. the best DC movie of all time? Take it away, Justin. I'm afraid it is the best DC movie of all time. No, I, I did I did like this movie. Uh, and I do think it has a, a place in the higher echelon of the DC movies, uh, to say it quite ser- seriously, because for a bunch of reasons. One, it really has a sense of place. It's one of the only movies in the DC universe where you're like, I really feel this place. Gotham City, I think, um, often has, you know, a little bit, is a little bit of a character, as everybody always says, but... This actually felt real, like these people were, I could feel like an address on their house, as opposed to so many other superhero movies mm-hmm. where it's just a wash. Can, and, can I mention something really quick about that, not to interrupt you, but we talked back on the Shazam Fury of the Gods podcast, I think, where Gail Simone, great writer, called out that she really mm-hmm. loved that Shazam was a representation of not a poor family, but a family that was struggling with money. And I think we talked a little bit about like, in essence, we like the idea of that, but don't think that really panned out in the movie in any way. Yeah. I think here, 100%, they drilled down on that the entire time in a really laudable way to the point that I was worried at the end of the movie that, uh, what's her name, Jenny Cord was going to be like, and now you live in the big part of the city and you're rich and having a great time. Yeah. But the point was that they love their house and they love where they live and they want to stay there. So the fact that they get to stay there at the end... And they instead are like, not, hey, we're going to move to the big city and ignore the poor parts of town. Edge Keys. There yeah, was the, the Edge Keys. keys. I, I thought that was great. I really like that a well, lot. Sorry to, sorry to interrupt. I just. Well, to interrupt to that, so then. Oh, interrupt, uh, interrupt, yeah, okay. interrupt it a little wow. bit more. Um, the. Uh, because originally he's in the comics, uh, he's from El Paso, uh, mm-hmm. Texas, which we really loved because of all the colors and the kind of unique take. And, you know, the street he was on was El Paso, which I thought was a nice nod. But I was like uh, uh, worried that I wouldn't like it as much. But, you know, to what you were saying, the love that the family had for that location kind of really won me over because originally I was hoping that. They just had such amazing panels of the skyline and the, you know, it's a different world, Texas. Uh, and I thought they were going to kind of Bigger. bring that because it was a part of his character in the comics, which we really enjoyed. So, but the uh, kind of the edge city kind of Florida ish uh, kind of look and feel Good was also an that. interesting choice and real part of kind of his uh, his origin, which ended up really well, being a good part of it. And I wonder if there was sort of the idea, because it's Palmyra City and then Edge Keys is where um, the Reyes family lives. Like, mm. is that um, something they're like, well, it has to, it's a DC movie. It has to be in a made up place. It no, sort of the director actually specifically said that was a choice that they discussed because they wanted to give Blue Beetle a major city location like a Gotham City or like a metropolis to drive home his importance there. You know, that mm-hmm. that not that they don't love El Paso and they visited El Paso apparently to do a bunch of research for the movie and just sort of like get the looks and the feels of certain places, but ultimately decided the Parmerith City thing because they felt like, okay, that 
that makes them like, you got your metropolis, you got your Gotham City, now you got your Parmera City as well. So it's less about making up a city than giving them something that potentially could go forward in the movies and feel like as important a location. The last thing that I'll mention here is we read for our review show, but if you haven't checked it out, there's a recently released comic called Blue Beetle Graduation Day that moves the action from El Paso to, I think it is, Palmera City or something that is very close to that in the comics that looks like that with the tall buildings and the sort of like bleeding edge future tech. And also, of course, it's about him graduating, albeit from high school versus college. So if you're looking for some reading material off of the movie, that's a good one to check out. Anyway, Justin, back to you for more opinions. <laughs> back to that fresh take. Nothing fresher than an interrupting a fresh take. Uh, the uh, I also love the family. I feel like we talked about this in the Shazam as well. Well, Shazam movie review as well. That there's just they tried really hard to be like this is a family, this is a family. And in this movie, I feel like this is a family. You really feel they they how they care for each other, how they fight with each other. They're at different roles in a family. It felt very real, and it actually sneakily was the thing that saved the day, as opposed to it being very on the nose. The thing that saved the day, it just their family being like um, un, untouchable was the thing that 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 really brought the movie to a close. So I thought that was great. Uh, Susan Sarandon, great villain. Yeah. Just a villain, an unblinking villain who is always awful. You don't need to know a ton about her. She's just like a maniac nightmare the whole time. Great. You don't see that in movies from a, there's always like so much story and exposition about the villain. And then the villain has to sort of have like cracks, like Darth Vader style, like redeemability. I love that we just didn't touch that. And that makes me think this movie felt like a classic superhero movie, like a 90s, like a Spider-Man uh, mm-hmm. superhero movie from the opening credit sequence through the way that um, the villain is just sort of an extension of the this I'm talking about, uh, Carapax uh, slash Omac, how it's really an extension of the hero. It felt like it captured that in a good way and didn't f- felt like more like, hey, this is our Spider-Man. We're actually doing the original Spider-Man mm-hmm. in the DC universe in a, in a good well, way. Well, I think it did, did what the best, not the best movies do, but like the best superhero movies do is like it took little bits of everything but felt fresh. It didn't feel like it was ripping it off. You know, we talked about this beforehand, but it's Spider-Man. It's Iron Man. There's a little bit of Superman in there as well. You got the the sequence of going through the planets at the beginning is definitely like straight out of the Superman sequence. Um, you got a little bit of the Batman stuff, but like cheerier, like they talk about with the Ted Cord Blue Beetle stuff. So it was kind yeah. of picking and choosing and throwing it in there and then figuring out how to tell its own story. And I think that's great. Very Watchmen, the flying beetle mm-hmm. airplane. Yeah. 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 There you go. All, nothing original in the entire movie. The one thing, the, <laughs> the thing that yes, what, what one just, other thing I would say just to cap it up, and I did think it was sort of a shame that the the final battle was just like armor versus armor. It was a little like mm-hmm. uh, I wished it was a little. It felt like it's something we had seen before. I guess I would say. that this leads into something that we've talked about a lot, and I don't know if this is one hundred percent true, but I've got to kind of assume it was is that they plan out a lot of these action sequences events based on having to get a head start on the VFX and other things. And it definitely straight down to him using an energy whip felt like yeah. they just took the final fight from either Iron Man or Iron Man 2 and kind of mapped over it and threw it in there. You know, I'm sure they weren't ripping it off to us directly, but it definitely had that feeling of like you're watching Iron Man and then you get to the final fight between Jeff Bridges and Tony Stark and you're like, 
I mean, this is, is good. But yeah, <laughs> then we get past that. And we do get past that into another emotional moment that I was so glad that they did. Because again, watching the movie, I love Susan Sarandon being an irredeemable villain, even with the note of she was passed over her position because she was a woman. Um, but with Carapax Omak, I felt like he's this heavy, he is Latino. And we've already seen the, one of the big themes of the movie is Caucasian people passing over Latinos and using them very specifically through the lens of Susan Sarandon. It is going to be, and I, I was thinking this the entire movie, it is going to be such a bummer if he's just this like unstoppable heavy who they end up destroying. And the fact that they did have redemption for him and did have that memory moment, which I thought so yeah, smartly goes very back cool. oh, yeah, in was time. Nice. To give him his memories back that Susan Sarandon has taken from him and show him how he was used by her and ultimately have that redemption. I, I thought that was really beautiful, really emotional. It ties into some real history. I think it's called the School of Americas or School for yeah. Americas um, that the American government and military contractors basically just like kidnap people and trade them up to be these soldiers, um, which is horrifying. So – to throw that in there and have that care to throw it in there, I thought was very emotionally done, but very smartly done as well. I agree. And I, that's another, another couple of places where I felt like the movie touches reality in a way that I think serves superhero movies specifically so well. Like when you get to these moments and push through all the like the, the wild, like my armor is uploaded. Finally, now I can truly kill. Mm -hmm. It's like, and then we get that emotional thing that touches on this real tragic thing like that changes it. And that gives it the actual stakes that so many of these movies miss. The other side of that I want to say is there's a moment after um, Susan Sarandon finds out that Jaime has the um, has the scarab where the family, the race family has a meeting. They're like, hey, we're if we if anyone looks at us, we're in trouble, like because two members of the family are, are undocumented. And I was like the way they just sort of like put that reality in the scene, I thought was just it, it made it real at a time when most movies swerve the other way. Well, I, I'll call that out. Like the word you keep using, I think that's 100% correct. Is that like, this is, I think, credit to the screenplay, credit to the director. It is very hard to not create tonal whiplash between having that discussion about potentially being deported or the grueling scene where Susan Sarandon's soldiers attack the family and they're all trying to like hold each other back and protect each other, ultimately leading to the dad dying. Um, like harrowing to watch because it is very specifically shot and reminiscent of ice breaking into houses, yeah. grabbing people, deporting them. So it works as part of the movie though. Like the, that's, that's I think what you're getting out here is it yeah. is these very realistic, very serious issues but it works as part of a movie where a guy also has an alien scarab that gives him wings and he can create any weapon he needs. So it jumps back and forth from these fantastical touches to these very grounded touches. But it's a superhero movie. It's not like, yeah, we're making a grounded, realistic superhero movie. It's from the ground level. We're shooting it like yeah. Martin Scorsese in the 70s. Like, it's none of that. It's a superhero movie. But like you're saying, like we talk about all the time – the joy of superheroes, the reason we all, I think, originally sparked to superheroes, they reflect us. They reflect the world outside of our window and then put it through the lens of a fantasy story. Yeah, it's, it, there's a little bit of uh, – it's that fantastical leap out of reality is what we need. And I think superhero movies need the opposite. They need to leap out of the fantastical world. 
so often the CGI stuff and find the reality that that is what the the creation of the character came from. And this movie actually, I thought, did a great job while also being very funny at points. Um, Mm -hmm. One of my favorite parts was when the scare first goes into him and it's played as for comedy at first and then body horror right after. I thought that was... I thought that was really well done. It reminded me a lot of like 80s movies where they were able to do that same thing and something that we've lost in so many of our our movies. Well, not to keep slabbing Shazab necessarily, but that's a point what I really thought of Shazam as well, because like we talked about with both of those movies, they didn't really find the tonal shift between having horror elements that they were like, oh, that calls back to the 80s. These giant uh, dog monsters are biting people's heads off in a boardroom filmed for legitimate horror or in the second movie, Diedrich Bader walking off the roof and everybody screaming in terror. There was the way they hit those scenes, those horror scenes here worked for me. And the reason it worked is because they did play, they played it for horror comedy instead of straight horror. Like, I tried to get Kajida off of his face and everybody be like, get it off, get it off. It's a pug. It's funny. George Lopez yelling about it is funny. Him getting thrown to the ceiling and cutting to the sister screaming. It worked like it worked as comedy throughout. And again, that's like, that's a total balance that clearly we see from Shazam is hard to hit. It didn't work there. It does work here. It's Sam Raimi-esque and, you know, Sam Raimi doing um, Multiverse of Madness you see it a little bit in there, but it doesn't quite hit in that movie because there's too much going on. And this, it was a much more like, oh, let's, this scene is about this. And I thought they nailed it. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to get back to the comedy element just because Pete brought that up and uh, not to call out my wife again, but I think that was one of her big problems with the movie as well. Like specifically, she came out as you're like, not in front of the kids, but was like a lot of boner jokes in that movie. I didn't like that. Uh, what, <laughs> Justin, how did you feel about the humor? I mean, you already called out some funny parts, but do you feel like it was too puerile, like uh, Pete at his nunnery over there? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. Go fuck Pete. yourself, man. Once you've unclutched your pearls, let me know what you think. But um, I didn't. I didn't mind it. I know, you know, it definitely felt like that was the part of the movie that was trying to speak to the younger audience, and like I thought that was all right. I maybe I'm you're are you saying I'm puerile, Alex? No, I'm saying you're a cool teen with your backwards hat or your hat askew or whatever. It's it skew. It's yes, skew. There you go. I like I kind of agree with you, Pete, just in terms of the amount of times that they did it. Like I would have been fine with a scarab crawls up your ass joke once and been fine with one boner joke, but they did just keep hitting on that stuff a lot and there was That's a, a callback. It's, it's a, a callback, but they didn't really do rule of threes. That's my problem. Like, well, uh, if you think about well, it, they didn't heighten it. You wanted a bigger, they didn't heighten a bigger it. Exactly. Boner. Yes. If you yeah, think about it, it was rule of threes I, because they it's got like fired. that line from Jaws. We're going to need a bigger boner. Take it away, Pete. Uh, <laughs> they got fired for taking a shit using the the bathroom to take a huge shit. Right. So then, then you had the you know crawling up your butt, and then you know the giant fug you know, bug fart machine. So that was three, but you know, they, they hit a couple more times, but I just think it was, I was like, you know, it just, um, you know, in comedy, as you know, Zalvin, uh, a teacher of, of how to do comedy, you know, you you do it so much, uh, you know, it becomes funny, but it was less than that. So it was kind of Mm -hmm. like a, kind of a weird place. I had a less uh, a problem with the bug fart thing because I really liked, what they did with Ted Cord in this movie. Like, yeah, 
being able to work in very complicated history of the DC universe, but do it in a way where you don't actually need to know anything about it is a really hard thing to do. And meant I was so surprised that they mentioned Dan Garrett here, a character that nobody alive remembers. I think. Yeah, agree. Come on, what are you talking about? Uh, You big Dan Garrett fan, Pete? Well, I think my Beetle. We all my Beetle. Yeah, I mean, we've all read Blue Beetle. We know. No, you know, I know. You understand what I'm saying. Like, that is the oldest possible Blue Beetle. So working him in was interesting. But Ted Cord, there's a lot of stuff going on there anyway. And then add in the fact that you have a character who's on off screen that they're talking about a lot that often becomes like, where's that character off screen? What's going on with him? What's happening with him? But I didn't feel like that when I was watching the movie, because ultimately the point was to lay out, okay, there is this legacy here. We're going to find out the history of the Scarab. Here's how it affects Jaime, and here's how it affects his life right now. And also, by extension, here's Jenny Cord. Here's how it affects her life right now. So it was all about the characters that we were caring about and watching on screen, and ultimately that's why it worked for me. To get back to the bug fart thing, they very clearly established that, like, he's Batman but funny, you know, and maybe not quite as good at it. Which I love that idea because, yes, that's Ted Cord to a T. And that he does have these things like bubble gum that blows up and creates bubbles and traps people in it. Or that he does have a bug fart in his machine. Or he has all these very silly weapons like the power glove shield that the sister takes. Oh, yeah, the power glove. That was a fun shout out. That was a fun shout out. A little bit disappointed that nobody said that's so cool at any point and gripped their fist, but take what you want. That's very specific. That's that's a weird, wild complaint from an adult. I was waiting for it the entire time. It's so cool. Something I did, uh, like walking away, being like, man, I can't wait for the next time we see him on screen because I feel like they did a good job of establishing a great character. And Jaime Reyes is an amazing Blue Beetle and a great character. And I, and I do, after seeing this movie, I, w- I want to see more of that. Um, I also think there was a lot of fun little Easter eggs and little nods like, you know, you got LexCorp in the background and one of the buildings, you know, the Big Belly Burger, him rocking Gotham stuff was really fun. Like it wasn't like, you know, we've seen a lot of Easter eggs done a lot of different ways. And I, I feel like they did a good job of kind of like putting them in there, but not beating you over the head with it, you know? Yeah, they also mentioned Bruce Wayne at one point on the radio or TV, and I agree with you. It felt like this is, again, it all comes from Jaime down, and that's the way you should be doing these movies, where it's all about, like, he is part of this world. He's part of the DC universe. That's what we're doing here, but it's not about, like, Wonder Woman shows up for one minute, they do the, and then she disappears so that we know he's part of the DCEU. Oh, man, man. Now I wish that happened, because that was just, you really brought me in with the music, you you know, it was really... Yeah. Yes. It did well, happen I, here, technically. For anybody who's been listening here. and not watching, I am a dead ringer for Gal Gadot. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a lot, it goes, a lot of the Sorry, cosplay that I you are. I just ears with that. I, yeah. I, every morning there. when I wake up and look at the mirror, I'm like, whoa, is this Wonder Woman 3? And then I realize it. Uh, it's me. You actually right, realize that's what Gail does as well. And then you put on your glasses and you say, wow, I was really off by that original comment. <laughs> Again, that's the big type Mr. Magoo situation. <laughs> what would you guys think about Becky G, singer of Break a Sweat and Shower as the voice of Kaji Da? How would you feel about that? 
Well, yeah, I think we can all agree that we know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but I did want to say that um, I did like the relationship between um, between Jaime and the and the Scarab. Like, I thought it was nice the way they actually b- sort of came together. Mm-hmm. So much of the comic is about the stress of, like, this is a bad thing. And I like they sort of did that a little bit enough. But then it was about the hero, the Blue Beetle, truly coming together when they, the two personalities, came together and were able to, like support each other and win the fight in a great way. Like when, when Jaime loses it and is about to kill um, Carapax there uh, and the, the scarab stops him. I was like, yeah, great. that was really that's, cool. That's good writing. I love yeah. that mm-hmm. moment. Well yeah. done. Uh, I also loved once they do come together and their wavelengths get on the same wavelength or whatever it is. Uh, Scientist. That, yes. There yeah, you what go. just uh, happened there? <laughs> I don't know. His wavelength. My wavelength peaked. is not on the same wavelength <laughs> is the problem. The uh, the fact that the Scarab starts speaking Spanish after that, I thought was a great yeah. touch as well, yeah. just to show that they are combined at this point. Here, Here's something that I couldn't quite get with. What did you think about hmm. the afterlife? The fact that we well, worked that's that I, in I, here. I want to talk about how this movie believes so hard in the afterlife. I was like, yo, this doesn't happen in movies mm-hmm. anymore. It's just it's like, no, this is real. This happens and this is because we touch it in a bunch of different ways. And I was really surprised by that. It's very surprising to me when a movie like this is like makes such a strong stance on a belief system. Um, and, you know, I don't share those same beliefs, I think. But I really like that the movie goes so far to show that that it does have a real take on the world around the characters. Well, I also think it goes back to this character is a young, hopeful character. And I think making the choice that, you know, because he lost his father and, you know, sometimes when you're in a tough spot, you're looking for guidance, you know, and I think that was a great way to communicate like, uh, you know, uh, for somebody who, you know, it, you believe things and then you get older and maybe it goes away or whatever. But I thought it was a, just a nice moment of like having belief. Maybe it's faith, maybe whatever it is. But you kind of, you know, uh, and under stress, maybe just kind of have these kind of like uh, uh, moments. And I thought it was a. I don't know. I just thought it was a cool, interesting choice that you don't see a lot. And it went hard on it, you know, and also mm-hmm. paid off later when it was like. You know, uh, people might be out of our lives or you think they might be dead or whatever, and they can, can come back or communicate with you. Or even if it's just like, you know, we stop and think, what would my dad do in this situation or whatever? You know, it's an artistic choice that they made with that. But then also it kind of was cool that in the post credits, somebody we thought was dead also kind of uh, mm-hmm. spoke to us. So I thought it was a kind of a cool, unique link there. I think it worked for me a little less. Like I loved how it looked. I thought it looked beautiful. And there's a scene towards the beginning of the movie. I think it's Jaime is watching TV and flipping through the channels. And they have a quick thing of, I I don't know what actually it was from, but old movie where death is leading somebody through a field of candles. So they set it up very simply at the beginning of the movie to pay it off at the end of the movie. I also thought the acting was really good in the scene with Jaime and his dad. It was beautiful. I did get choked up again at that scene, but there's something, and this is just in me, but there's something about jibing what is essentially a science fiction fantasy plot with pure afterlife that didn't quite work with me. Like everything was like, this is an alien scarab. We're dealing with that. We're dealing with science that's derived off of the alien scarab. 
but I couldn't quite get to. And now there's, and again, this is maybe my own thing, similar to you, Justin, but what is a supernatural fantasy element purely with the afterlife? It it didn't quite work. That That's one part that didn't quite work totally for me. Well, and that's what I was, I feel like, the, the tension there is like, wow, it's crazy. We're watching this movie. All this stuff is happening. And then they're like, and the afterlife. We're like, oh, that's you're saying that's real for me too, potentially. <laughs> like it's a weird crossover mm-hmm. belief thing. And I don't mind it because I don't mind it as much. I feel like our movie taste has changed in the last like 25 years where we used to give movies like, okay, they think this. Sure. Like RoboCop, any movie. I feel like RoboCop was in this movie a little bit. RoboCop. It was like <laughs> anything can happen in these movies. Any yeah. sci-fi movie. Yeah, and by the way, the scene where RoboCop reconnects with his dad in the afterlife, beautiful. Beautiful. Gorgeous. Uh, I mean, more like we movies were weirder back then, and now our brains are trained to have everything sort of be of a piece and fit together so cleanly. Mm-hmm. And I actually want movies to be a little woollier and weirder because it's more interesting. You're like, oh, wow, wow. Do you think this – like the tonal shift from all this afterlife stuff to the grandma having a flashback to her revolutionary days and like wrecking these dudes. I was like, this is wild. It's yeah. a wild piece of this movie. And But the fact that this movie is that and it, it takes that fully as real – I think is great because it, it's it's something I'll remember from the movie when there are so many other choices that are a little make more sense for the mm-hmm. context that would be forgettable. The, the last thing I'll say about this and then we can move on. It's kind of Black Panther, though, right? Like that's sort of a very similar thing to what they did in Black Panther in terms of visiting the afterlife. So that was something that. We uh, we just talked about like taking little choices from other movies and mixing them together. That's one that I feel like could have been left to the side, though. I understand what you're saying, Justin. Well, I, the only thing, the only difference I would say there is the Black Panther one was like, oh, this is how we do the afterlife. There's a Panther right. lineage in yeah, this space, so it wasn't yeah. like this is how the afterlife is. Okay. And that's where I think the two movies are different because this movie I think was like, hey guys, everyone watching this, the afterlife is real, and we're going to dip into it here for the purposes of this movie. Mm-hmm. And Black Panther was like, hey, this is something that we do, and isn't it interesting? So that's two different things to me. All right. That's fair. Um, What else would you guys want to call out about the movie? What else jumped out to you, if anything? Um, Uh, I did like we didn't really talk about the kind of the two main characters, you know, relationship as far as Mm -hmm. like, will they, won't they? You know, I thought the the chemistry between them was really fun. And I I, I really kind of felt like they they did a great job there with the casting. And also you kind of rooting for them, you know, uh, in a a big way. So I thought love. Yeah, I thought it was a great kind of like there was a lot of things happening in this movie, but also you're kind of hoping that that also happens. So, uh, you know, sometimes you're like, man, I don't really care. There's so much other things going on. But I they kept going back to it, and I thought in a, in a good amount of ways. Yeah, they had good chemistry there. I like that. I also I think I mentioned this before, but I really like the sister. I thought she was really good. And oh, she yeah. Had different modes to play. She worked really well off of Jaime that. Silent Whale, when her father dies, was so heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, so lots of modes for her. I love that she got into the action with the Power Glove Shield as well. That was very fun. Um, and overall, so cool. just the family was great. Like you mentioned, the grandma, super fun. Great That's reveal great. there. Really well <laughs> played. Like, but it was also really well arced out. Like they kind yeah. of got there very, very slowly. It was not like a sudden comedic turn like you'd see in a goofy comedy movie. It was they let her go from this goofy person in the background 
kind of stepping up after the dad dies and becoming the leader of the family to pulling down her braids, getting the big gun, revealing revolutionary past. So like very nice pacing there with that arc, I thought. Yeah. It makes a wild turn believable because they set it up well, which is like all you can ask for in a movie to, to do it right and then go big. That's what we want in every movie, I feel like. Um, the only other thing I want to just go back to is the the Ted Cord stuff. Yes. Like in a, in a DC universe where so much of it is so self-serious and like hard to continue to watch, uh, this is like sort of what I think this needs. This feels like this could be like the Blue Beetle going, continuing to work through the Ted Cord and, you know, maybe Ted Cord becoming a character going forward. I think... That's like what Ant-Man sort of wanted to be and then didn't really do it. Became a little too cool for school for that to earnestly be a goofy superhero. It's more commentary-y. Well, I think having Ted Cord be like a Batman who messes up, like the real, not necessarily the Justice League era of comic books where Blue Beetle was like, all right, let's go do this and just like blows it for the next three issues and finally scrapes out a win at the end. I want that movie I want more of that tone in the DC universe. That's why I think they can carve out space from Marvel that has really leaned into like, we make jokes, but it's just sort of commentary on the action to do something that's actually funny, but still heroic is like what Spider-Man was for years in, in the comic books with a ton of comic book space has been given to that style. And it's time to do it in the movies. Well, let's just talk about that even more specifically. So in the end credit scene, there's two of them. There's a post credit scene at the end that's a goofy callback to this claymation series that they kind of made up for the movie. I think they made it up for the no, movie. No, no, I think it's that's real. real. That's a real, real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. There you go. Sorry about that. Uh, then the mid credit sequence, though, which I could speak more intelligently about because the only thing I know about is comics, is they <laughs> zoom into the Blue Beetle cave and just there's a recording or there's a call that comes in because they've turned the computer back on. It's from Ted Cord. He's alive. He's gone somewhere. We don't know where, but he wants to tell his daughter, Jenny, that he is alive. And I'll also note, we don't know who did the voice. There's no credit there. And there's been several interviews with the director since, and literally none of them have seemingly asked him who the voice is, or maybe they said they don't want to say who it is yet. Um, I will say for Pete, this is Pete for alone, the person the director most wants to be Blue Beetle, uh, Ted Cord, and he said this before the movie ever came out, is, are you ready? Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, I heard that rumor, yeah. Oh, but okay. not confirmed, so. I don't think so. Well, it definitely wasn't the voice. I think the reason they're not talking about the voice is it's a random person who they got to do the voice, and then they would potentially cast Ted Cord yeah. as somebody later. Well, that would be my guess there. But what do you guys think about this? Where is Ted Cord? And if there was ever a Blue Beetle 2 or Blue Beetle continues in some way, who should play Ted Cord in the DCU? Well, who should play Ted Cord? The first, as you were talking about it, the, the person that came to mind for me was John Hamm. Mm -hmm. Someone who can mm -hmm. play like leading man, but also great comedy. He could be that sort of strong jawed Superman type, but like, I fuck this up. Okay. And move on sort of like in, in the Fletch movie that he just did, which I think he did a good job as the movie went on of being a, a, a hero who is not good at his job. Yeah. I but, mean, that's the, that's the real thing is you gotta be both. You gotta be funny and, uh, you know, mess up, but also kind of pull off those serious stuff as well. And people believe that you 
are you know a hero and someone to be looked up to. So I mean, me Jason Sudeikis is uh, a great choice. Um, but yeah, I, I just uh, I, I agree with Justin. I think it, you got to be able to you got to play both really well. Do you think Sudeikis would play another Ted so soon? He really wants to branch out. I'll throw out one that goes in not the opposite direction, but a very different direction for you guys. What about like Sam Rockwell? That's not going to get that chiseled hero look, but Mm -hmm. you get somebody who could be like, hey, I was tight in a business. I decided to put on a costume and become a hero. And he's very funny. He's a little older as well. So he can fit that age range. Plus, he's a great dancer. He's a great dancer. Yeah, that could be. That's a good call as well. And yeah. as far as where Ted Cord is, I what's the sequel for Blue Beetle? It's got to be sort of the reach and the sort of world domination stuff. The idea that that Jaime Scarab is the enemy. Mm-hmm. The Scarabs are the enemy, but Jaime's is sort of bonded to him. I think is fun. And the idea that maybe he's depowered and Ted Cord has to step up and be the hero is potentially very fun. Like that's a that's a great spot for a sequel to go to. Yeah, I could see that. I could also see them taking a little smaller, just because we could probably talk about this in a second. Obviously, it didn't make a ton of money or anything like that. So rather than going full on alien invasion, which obviously I'd love to see, I could also see them doing like globe trotting adventure to find Ted Cord wherever he is. Maybe he's. I've seen this speculation a lot. Maybe he's somewhere in time with Booster Gold. That's how you introduce Booster Gold into the universe. Mm. There's a lot of different possibilities there. What were you going to say, Pete? I had a little time to think about who I want to cast. I'm going to go with Donald Glover. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not much older, I would say, than. Yeah. No, he's too young. Well, you can always age him up a little bit. Yeah, give him. Yeah, instead of the de-aging CGI, use aging CGI. Aging there CGI. You go. That'll look great. I've I just think some for aging comedy, CGI over the last few years. He's got great range and, and the comedy mm-hmm. chops. I think the you know seeing Reyes and him go back and forth. I I wouldn't get tired of that. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. And anything uh, is possible as long as you could dream it. Do we before we wrap up here? Do we think there is going to be a Blue Beetle two at this point? Well, you know that's the thing. Boogaloo. That's the thing that you've uh, you were talking about earlier that. James Gunn was like, oh, yeah, this is part of my DCU. But it's not really. This movie was made before him. It doesn't really – his plans weren't organically about, like, bringing in a Blue Beetle sequel. It was like, oh, okay, this movie's coming out before I take over. So I guess we'll talk about it. So – and the fact that it didn't do very well, I think, is a real bummer because I think this is a great character to sort of spring – especially with the Superman stuff being such a focus, big top tier to have like a young Spider-Man-esque character that can sort of really come through, I think would be great. Yeah, I think I'm I'm more dubious about it than I was um, before I saw it. I think though, like maybe trying to get uh, him kind of like first kind of in kind of like a bunch of like kind of background stuff or have them in team stuff, you know, uh, mm-hmm. get people kind of wanting another one again, I think would be a smart move. Yeah. I, I could see that most likely happening. Like cameos I mean, and stuff. There's so many moving pieces at this point leading into Superman legacy. It honestly makes me nervous that, we're ever going to get that. That's ever going to happen. There's going to be a reboot after the reboot. Like the more these movies fail, to be frank, the more pressure there is on Superman legacy to not just deliver, but crazy over deliver to set up an entire new universe. 
So I don't know. I would love to see Zolo again as Blue Beetle. I thought yes. he was great. He clearly is a star. If you've never seen Cobra Kai, go watch it. He's great on that as well. Um, and I'd love the chance to see a sequel because, like, he's a great fighter as well. Like, he does uh, awesome fight moves on Cobra Kai, and they all do most of that themselves. So I'd love to see more of that in a sequel, bigger, better action sequences, and just more of the Blue Beetle fun. But, man, I don't know. With it not doing well in theaters with multiple misperforming movies. But it might, once it, you know, people can stream it and stuff like that. It might get kind of like, uh, uh, you know, uh, get popular. For sure. Like we yeah. talked about the flash bombed in theaters and then did really well on VOD. Obviously we'll see how well it does. It's hitting max shortly or just hit max actually. I think so, it just hit. Yeah. yeah so maybe according to my max, but the flash is there. Oh, yeah, there you go. So we'll see how those do. Maybe that's what they want. Maybe that they're interested in. But between that, between the strikes going on, between so much flux in the world of streaming and Warner Brothers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. I would love to see more, but I'm not I'm not very positive about it right now. Yeah, jeez, man. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Yeah, no, right. Let's we bring it down, you know? And, well, and, and everybody's going to die. If you'd like to support us, <laughs> patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come back out. We would love to chat with you about the doomed DC universe. Apple, Spotify, the or the <laughs> app of That's your us. choice to subscribe, listen, and follow at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, Dad, you gotta turn this, you gotta turn this one around, man. Oh boy. Yeah, oh Dad, boy. pressure's on. Ha, we're here to support you though, for sure. I'll fart bug up my butt all you want, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Boner. Boner.